This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, do you ever think back a few years ago and kind of wish you did something differently? Well, maybe those few things that seemed impossible to implement wasn't as difficult as you thought. From the Aftermarket Radio Network, hi, Carm Caprietto here, and I'm with Randy O'Connor, Executive Director of Modern Tire Dealer Training and Educator Network. Randy gives an insightful analogy to processes and procedures being the lifeblood of your business. They connect everything together. Put the work in and reap the rewards. You're going to love this episode. Hey, thanks to our partner, NAPA. How does NAPA support your auto care center through national marketing? Well, NAPA will build upon the already successful Know How for All campaign and promote auto care offerings and services to our Do It For Me customers with support through sales driver promotions, optimized targeted media in local markets, and in proven channels. It also gives your repair facility an online presence on Napa Online, generating millions of views per month. Now, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa Know How for All national marketing campaign, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. Hey, welcome everyone. Remarkable Results Radio, Carm Capriato. Honored to have Randy O'Connor. Hello, Randy. Carm, good afternoon. Honored to be here. Hey, so happy to have you here. Executive Director of Modern Tire Dealer Training and Educator Network. Well, that's a long, long title there. It's a mouthful, my friend. There's a lot that goes into it, though. Got to have a mouthful to be able to put a lot into it, right? Formerly DSP20 Group and now Modern Tire Dealer Training and Educator Network. Does that mean that everybody who's a member of your network and, and these particular 20 groups are all tire people? Not all of them. We do have a couple unique uh, members. Uh, so part of our offering at MTD10, obviously, is the 20 group portion. But then we also do a lot of consulting and uh, business operational financial consulting at the same time. So uh, we do have some pretty unique members. We've got some that are in emergency services, you know, those folks that are uh, taking care of all the ambulances and all the fire trucks that are out there. Uh, we've got uh, a real unique member that's in the, uh, the tractor pull tire world. And so they, they manufacture... Uh, and wholesale one of the leading uh, tractor pull tires, rear drive tractor pull tires in the country. So we've got a wide array, uh, array of members, uh, but most of them, yes, are members that have been with us for numerous years, uh, you know, 10, 12 years that uh, were basically very tire heavy and eventually through way of benchmarks and the rest have started to get a better mix of their business. And so as a result of all the networking and everything that happens with our groups, we've uh, we've expanded and we've got some pretty cool, unique folks that are with us. A question about the mechanics mechanical guys that are into tires and some of them not in it all the way. And some of the tire guys that have said, listen, we, we got to be a mechanical. There seems to be a blending from both sides to the middle. Yeah, it's kind of flip-flops. I'm sure you've seen it. Everybody's seen it. But from my perspective, uh, you know, the uh, historically, I'm a tire guy, right? And so I knew tire guys and I knew getting into service was super important. But over the last several years, as a result, uh, some of my travels throughout North America, I've ended up seeing now more folks uh, going from the service side into tires. Uh, us tire guys may say that they're crazy, but uh, there's a lot of good reasons to be doing that. And yeah, I've definitely noticed a bit of a shift where we all recognize that service is super important to what we do. And uh, those folks that have a super strong service in their buildings 
a little bit of an easier walk into tires, if you will, than it is taking a tire guy and walking them into service, right? That's what the mechanical guys say. Those tire guys are crazy to get into the mechanical. Yeah, I mean, that is the, uh, the, the initial, but we do the aftermarket weekly show and the virtual shop tour, and I always ask... I would say 90% of the time when we're looking inside of a shop, I say the words, are you in the tire business? The answers are all over the board. Yeah, a little bit. You know, they've got gorgeous equipment, the latest everything. And I just can't quite in the back of my mind see the investment versus the, the number of tires they would be selling. But yet, if the customer comes to you and they're loyal and... Oh, why would you want them to go anywhere else when you do an inspection on the vehicle and it says, hey, you need tires and we don't do them? That would really piss off a loyal customer. So I don't remember the year, forgive me on this, but uh, NHTSA uh, had a study years back. And uh, this was kind of a leading premise from years ago with DSP 20 Group. Uh, it's a one-to-one-to-one -one -one ratio and it speaks to service mix, service to tire mix. And the study basically came out and said, hey, for every dollar a customer spends on a tire, they spend a dollar on service and they spend a dollar on labor. So from a financial benchmarking standpoint, whether you're in the service world or whether you're in the tire world, uh, it stands to reason that if you are not dabbling in both of them and finding a good, clean mix of business, you're leaving some pretty healthy chunks of change on the table. I remember having to have four tires on my car a while back, and that was a four-figure um, deal. Nothing's getting cheap these days. Nothing at all. Everything's getting more expensive. And the good news is, seems like our industry is doing pretty well as we've gone through COVID and everything else. We've learned a lot of really good lessons. And yeah, it may be expensive for consumers, but you know, consumers don't recognize that tire guys aren't the richest folks in the world. Randy, give me one of those lessons. One of those lessons from COVID? Oh man, uh, efficiency has got to be the biggest. Uh, we were forced to do a lot of things that uh, were uncomfortable for us to do. Uh, when when life was good and we weren't forced to do it. Uh, a lot of us looked at uh, ours, for instance, right? There was the thought that, oh man, you know, we've got this building, we're leasing it. Uh, the lease at the end of the month is the same, whether I'm open 31 days or whether I'm open 25 days or 26 days. So I'm going to go ahead and get the absolute most out of my building. And uh, from an efficiency standpoint, things don't always work out that way. Uh, you got to look at your models and you got to look at your consumer behavior and look at your competition and your share of business and all those other things. And I think throughout COVID, we all learned how efficiency could really, really help us uh, be stronger competitors, uh, not only uh, with uh, with our consumers, um, but also in, uh, in the market as it pertains to uh, our team members and employees. Did the efficiency cream to the top because we were booked out so far that in order for us to just manage uh, the, the promise times, the, the kind of services that we were giving pre-COVID, we says, oh my God, how am I going to deal with all this business? And, and not only the current business booked for the day, but the emergencies. That's a fair approach to, to what happened, but I think it's more of, you know, from a productivity and efficiency standpoint, you know, we ended up getting a lot more out of. Everyone was more appreciative to, you know, show up as an essential worker, if you will. I was in California at the time, so, you know, there were essential workers. Uh, for those folks that, you know, still had jobs and were still in it, you know, they valued them a lot more. And so when it came to still paying the bills, and especially in the space where, where I exist the most, which is the independent space, you know, we, we look to those owners to, to provide a lifeline for the families that, that do the work in the shop. And so the appreciation that came along with that and the reality that, you know, everybody had to step up and everybody had to work a little longer hours, you might cut back some days, but, you know, we're a little leaner than we were before. And uh, all of a sudden, productivity starts 
going from 70, 75, 80%. Now you're, you know, hedging up into triple digits and your efficiencies come right along with it. So uh, it was a matter of necessity, but I think it's uh, it's a fair thing that's happened to us. And uh, as we have the conversation still now, obviously, as you know, we're not in a situation where uh, it's, it's nearly as rough and tumble as it was. It's still a situation where there's a lot of things that we probably didn't learn or didn't take advantage of throughout uh, the the COVID era, we're probably going to need to be thinking about doing now as, you know, we potentially face a little bit of a downturn coming here in the next several months. There could be thoughts of recession, and we've already seen that the consumers are tightening up their belts a little bit. And so what that means is we've got to find a way in order to be able to keep our, our, our top line where we want it. We've got to be able to to get a little bit more out of everything that's coming in the door. And, you know, we don't we don't ever talk in our groups about uh, about beating people over the head. This is a situation where, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting the most out of everything we can do. And so we're sitting in a room and the first financial we look at is mix of business. If you are not closer to a one-to-one-to-one ratio, 30% tires, 30% parts, and uh, 30% mechanical, then we're going to look for ways to be able to try to figure out what is it in your systems, what is it in your processes that can change the behaviors uh, that will eventually lead to a little healthier line. Are you a repair shop owner? Do you find yourself struggling with any of the following? Uncertainty about the future and competition. Are you spending too much time managing chaos and struggling with new employees? Do you lack time to invest in learning best practices or there's no time to spend on effective marketing? How do your finances look? Are you reactive rather than proactive? Do you know where you should be, when to grow, and when to shrink? If any of those situations describe where you are today, well, you are finally in the right place. Repair Shop of Tomorrow is Napa Auto Care's newest endorsed partner. They are helping shops all over the nation run more profitable automotive repair shops, and they help by utilizing proven business best practices, marketing, and coaching to leverage Napa programs to drive quality, car count, sales, and profits. RSOT will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit percent, measure and manage labor, and how you can create net profit. Team up with the coaches to create systems, operations, and procedures using a business flowchart to help you reach your goals. RSOT will help measure and manage the results to help each business succeed. Now, best of all, it's not do-it-yourself. It's all done for you. Their goal is to help service professionals do what they do best, fix cars and build relationships at the counter and in the community. RSOT will take the other minutia off your plate. The Repair Shop of Tomorrow offers a tier-based program to not only generate more business today, but to transform your shop into a top-level shop of tomorrow. RSOT can teach you how to make your shop profitable, and they can teach you how to recruit and how to make more labor dollars for your shop. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? We'll call 440-545-1230. That's 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. When you're getting together with your teams and your groups, are you looking at labor rates? You're asking the last time. You do some math on labor rates and or costs since steak now costs 40% more than we used to pay for it per pound. It's pretty cool in our groups. We facilitate a lot of discussion and obviously labor rate comes out at some point in every single one of our meetings that we have. And the members now, after years and years of being in it, will probe that question and they'll find that guy 
that's in the room that, uh, you know, might be at 105 bucks or 110 bucks or, you know, forbid 90 bucks, they hold him to the fire and they ask him what he's waiting for and uh, what he or she, uh, you know, what reasons they have for not doing it because every single person in the room uh, has at some point been faced with that accountability with the other 19 owners. And uh, it's basically coming down to just go ahead and do it. You can always pull back if you need to, but do it now. Thank me tomorrow. What are the reasons you're hearing for being 90, 95, 100? What do you hear? Most of the things that we hear is you can't get away with that around here. That's been this, it's been the same response for years is, you know, all right, you know, you guys are talking more metro markets, you're talking more urban markets, you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, you know, I'm in a small town, I've only got, you know, 15,000 people, 20,000 people, there's no way I can do that. Second to that is probably, well, I shot my competition six months ago, and, you know, they were at 100, and, you know, I want to be the value leader, and so... Uh, to us, though, those those two thoughts they don't they don't necessarily connect uh, when it comes to your bottom line and when it comes to you know just making sure that you're responsible to be able to to take care of your teams at the same time. Can't you be the value leader at 125? You can absolutely be the value leader at 125, 140, 150. I'm I'm very happy for someone to say, "Man, you're expensive." Yeah, yeah, we are. We're going to prove to you why. You got a great resume. Give us give us a little uh, little idea of what you've been what you've done in your life so far. No, I, I appreciate that, Karma. I've been pretty lucky. Uh, I, I came in green in my young 20s, a company called Colony Tire on the East Coast, um, and uh, stepped into a pretty busy retail shop and learned pretty quick that uh, I needed some really strong support systems in order for me to be able to figure this thing out. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not by, by any means a tire guy. I'm not by any means a car guy. I am uh, just dedicated to the industry and the independent. So Colony Tire, back in the day, one store, two stores, three stores, seven stores, 13 stores, they did a good job. And uh, they ended up uh, uh, selling uh, back in the day to uh, to Monroe. Left them and ended up going to uh, ATD Tire Pros with the uh, the Tire Pros group there. And so uh, was consulting and then director of operations with them for uh, a couple of years when I met uh, Dennis McCarran. He was my intro into uh, the MTD 10, formerly DSP 20 group. And so uh, stepped on with, uh, with DSP and uh, just had a fantastic time meeting brilliant people throughout the industry, throughout North America. Uh, eventually uh, had an opportunity because of the consulting I was doing to uh, step away and go work for a super regional in California. Uh, big brand tire, uh, did a good job there, got them to the point that they were ready to, uh, to to get out. The numbers were good at that point. They got healthy X and uh, they sold to a private equity. And so uh, I knew it was time for me to get back into the independent again. And so here I am back with, uh, with MTD 10 Training Education Network and working directly with the independent, which is what I think my career was meant to have me do. Great storyline. I like that. Uh, systems, communications, accountability, processes, procedures, behaviors. These are kind of like all the things you guys cover when you get together, talk, consult. Can we like pick a couple of these and drill down? So system process and behavior, I mean, so we, in our groups, it's a lot of fun because, you know, we, the members, the owners, they, they report their financials on a monthly basis. And we've got reporting that goes out from that. And, and that's all good and well, we can look and compare and, you know, we can see who's doing what and, uh, we can probably pretty well know just looking at the numbers who's not doing what. Um, but the real the real gusto comes in the meetings when uh, you actually sit down and you're held to task with uh, with what your approach is to the business, uh, what things you have put in place since the last meeting. Uh, we all have action lists that we walk away with every meeting. 
one of those wildly important things that you've put in place, uh, you know, since uh, the last time we met. Did you say wild? And sometimes those are really BHAG stretches, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, stretch goals for everybody is important, but it, Carmen, it all starts with something that um, I continue to get frustrated with uh, year over year over year, which is the lack of annual financial planning that I see as being a systematic issue that we have. It's just, it's our due north. Um, and without a due north, you know, there's there's really just no chance that you're going to be able to hit any of those stretches that that maybe we're talking about. And so part of our mission as facilitators and as consultants uh, is to help folks put together the system that they can eventually, uh, you know, walk through the processes to be able to change behaviors along the way, because that's what it all comes down to. It all eventually chases down to behaviors and chances are if you don't have the behaviors that you want and you've tried to get them year over year, it's a result of a of a poorly put together system and or a series of processes that uh, that just aren't supporting uh, what everybody needs in their toolbox to be able to get their job done. Let me ask you a question about the behavior piece and the accountability thing. Do many of the clients that you have that are part of uh, your 20 groups, do they look at that accountability from each other that help to, to help them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's that's the real gold uh, that happens within uh, the 20 group is, uh, you know, you've got 19 other owners that you're peer to peer on, right? You are peer to peer accountability and some relationships obviously within the group are uh, stronger than others. Uh, there's a lot of uh, activity that happens uh, outside of the meetings where we've got owners that are, you know, taking trips, uh, taking vacations together, you know, visiting each other's shops, doing things in order to be able to kind of uh, shorten the learning curve in the meantime. But yeah, in, in the group, it's, it's a lot of fun when we have our meetings because that, that accountability is something where uh, we just let them go. Um, and, you know, we, we hold the conversations together so nothing gets out of control and we make sure that everybody can agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all about making each other better. And it's all about making sure that, you know, the independent is as strong as they can be. To me, that's one of the secrets of, of the groups in how they they blend and interact and, and develop friendships. And to your point, I, I've just known so many that uh, have such a great bond and vacation together. And still, if you will, let me just use a little vernacular here, play grab ass with themselves on their own little chat groups to be sure that, hey, did you get this done? We talked about it the other day. And there's nothing like someone pushing you because the man in the mirror may not. You know, we, we all get to know each other pretty well. And, you know, some folks are a little harder on others than others. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's it's not rare for a member to say, what the hell are you thinking? Like, what what is taking you so long to get this done? Why haven't you picked up the phone? Why haven't you called, you know, why haven't you called Randy? Why haven't you called any of the other members? You're not on an island. And, you know, that, that island is something that, uh, you know, if you're on it, uh, you don't necessarily recognize how small it is. Uh, you know, you may have a highly functional island, but you don't know how other islands operate unless you actually uh, get on the boat and have a good time. That's a great metaphor. Don't be on your own island. Even though you think you could afford it, you can't. <laughs> you said something about financial planning. Uh, part of the Aftermarket Radio Network, Hunt Demarest uh, CPA, is doing an episode, and I believe it'll be out probably as people are hearing our voice, called tax planning. And as any accounting firm knows, and any savvy businessman knows, that in July you have to start tax planning, especially if you're going to purchase and buy or acquire or grow. How does the tax man handle some of the decisions that you're ready to make 
uh, for the rest of the year. So uh, great point you brought up. Yeah, you know, the, the financial piece for us is actually came years ago from Norm Gaither. It's a name that's pretty well known throughout the industry. Uh, pretty smart bean counter in his own right. Those benchmarks that he put forth years ago are the structure to what we use today. Obviously, it's changed. You know, the average retail price of a tire is, you know, no longer 120 bucks. Uh, and so with it, you know, everything below the line changes at the same time. So uh, we, we change the financials and we make sure we keep up to date with with what's going on. But it's rooted in that bean counter mentality. I'm glad you brought it up. At Norm Gaithier, I read his articles. He used to write for magazines. This is T minus maybe 25 years ago or even longer. And I always wanted to meet Norm, but never did. And then when I bumped into Dennis and, and I realized the connectivity that Dennis had with Norm, it was kind of like old home week for me. And, and Dennis McCarron's been on the show before. And just so that you understand, Randy took over uh, from Dennis. Am I right? Dennis brought me in initially. And there have been two other folks that have run uh, the 20 group since I've been gone. Don't forget my two-year hiatus where I uh, was out in, uh, on the left, left coast in California. All right. Well, we, I still want to give a shout out to Dennis because uh, I, I met him a few years ago. He brought some great stuff to the podcast. What's your philosophy on creating good processes? at least documenting them? Certainly, documentation is important, but you, you got a long way to go before you get to documentation. The George Foreman version of, of processes just, just doesn't work, uh, especially for the independent. And so um, it all has roots back in systems, in, in my opinion. When you recognize the strengths and the weaknesses of your systems and you collaborate with uh, the folks that have the greater share of accountability within those systems, whether it's customer service system or the vehicle service system or believe it or not just the communication and accountability system that in my mind that's a whole nother system that's there and you know processes and procedures are kind of the uh they're the transport vehicle they're the blood right they're the blood of the body where the systems are the bones the the, the process is the blood it transports everything to the muscles which are your behaviors and so you know when it comes to to processes you you've got to have some uh, systematic approach to each one of your departments. Uh, like I said, customer service, vehicle service, uh, marketing, financial reporting, you know, and, and you trickle it down, right? What's the biggest bang for your buck in each one of those departments? You know, you can improve your bottom line on what's your biggest headache, what's your biggest opportunity. Uh, and then you start diving into the processes, but the processes really, Carm, they come from involvement of folks that are in doing the work. They're the folks that really need to be able to uh, have a fine hand in, in designing uh, in putting forth what people want. And that's probably where a lot of folks go wrong is uh, top-down management. Um, you know, you, you, you can involve your team and you can collaborate uh, without having a top-down. You can always reserve the right to veto, uh, but putting in the work and putting in the time to build your processes with your team uh, so that everybody's on board, you get buy-in, uh, and then eventually, you know, you've, you've got a system of accountability that's inherent in involving them, then you're really off and running. I love what you said about the right to veto. That almost helps our listener realize that they don't have to do it themselves. Literally, they don't have to be the center of that wheel. They don't have to be the conductor of the orchestra. They just need to say, hey, team, let's get this thing done. I want to be involved in kind of every eight or nine steps of the way here. You know, let me read it over. I'll bring you some comments, some ideas. Yeah, I got the right to veto. I own the business, but this is your business to help. I need, I need help to run it. You start with that initial annual planning. And let's say you want to grow, you know, $5 gross profit per vehicle. 
you go to your managers and, and you pull in your service manager and you say, y'all, we need $5 more per vehicle. I need your help in order to be able to, to figure out how to do this. Let's put together, let's brainstorm a big list, put it together, and then let's prioritize that list and let's you know see what's going to have the biggest impact. And then, okay, now that we know what's going to have the biggest impact, how do we actually do that? How do we make sure that these ideas you guys are having are in there? Do we have the right tools in place? Is our point of sale uh, able to be able to do this? Do we have the right reporting ability? Uh, to be able to do this? Do we have calls set up so that we're accountable um, on a regular basis to make sure that the things that we're trying are actually working? And so you sit down and you have a, a powwow call that might last 15 minutes that's built on a particular goal that your team came up with. What did you try last week? What worked? What didn't work? Stick right to the task. Uh, make sure that you don't bring any of the chaos of commerce into, into it. You never pick up a phone. You never miss the call. You never step away. You have your little 15 minutes. You hit that one little goal and you figure out what you're going to do for next week. And then you rinse and repeat. You do it again. I love it. You said the word openness. Obviously, you must preach the fact that the financial statements are open to your leadership team and they'll, they'll never help you carry the log up the hill if they don't know how heavy it is. 100% transparency is thoroughly, thoroughly important, especially when you talk about a, a business that's that's like ours. We have We have a very short sales cycle, right, compared to a lot of others, right? Our sales cycle lasts minutes, uh, half hour, right, for an oil change, uh, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, or if we're doing bigger jobs, the sales cycle might last, you know, a half a day or a day, maybe a couple of days at most. When you're in a short sales cycle like this, you know, your folks, uh, in my opinion, need to be, be rewarded on that sales cycle, meaning pretty high commission, right? When you're going at that pace and moving at a pace that's that high, a really high commission helps to really get people to buy into the, the pace with which we have to do business in order to be able to get turns on our bays. And so when, when you think about just making sure that uh, there's openness to financials, if, if you're not open with the financials and you don't have uh, supporting uh, reporting scoreboards, right, that, uh, that feedback up into that wildly important goal, those big annual goals that you're working on, they're traveling through the dark without, without night goggles. And that's no fun for anybody. Yeah, Randy, thank you for bringing this up. We've done shows called Where the Money Goes, and it was an opportunity for the owner to basically say, hey, here's my P&L. And, and it may not necessarily be in, in the really big numbers, but a, a if you will, you take the return on sales based on a $100 sale and you, my payroll costs 20 bucks, and it's not hard to bring it down to a small digestible form but so many people think, oh, you had a $100 sale, the owner gets 100 bucks. Now, wait a minute. You are walking away with, with money for your family and your benefits and your bonuses, and we're paying the heat and the light and the mortgage and all that stuff. But still in all, as much as people th know that there's costs associated with every sale, they think the owner makes so much more than they currently make. It's a great philosophy to know that you guys are teaching that openness and helping people understand the financials. Yeah, you know, it, it used to be three to four bucks was about average for the independent on the hundred that came in top line that uh, that the owner might keep. And these days it's more like five to seven on average, uh, which is still 
a lot of work for very little return. And so, you know, we, we benchmark 15% as being a, a good net down on that hundred bucks. Yeah, that's good. And, and I know there's a whole lot of coaches and shop owners that are, that are striving for 20. And I look at that and I say, you know, when you think of the years they lost money <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with trying to make it up because all of that sweat equity and all the money invested in the time invested in, in the business. There's nothing wrong with that. When I ever did this exercise back in the day, I would always tell people that net profit is just so darn important because I know you all would love a raise someday. We need to buy equipment. All We have to pay debt service. All of that stuff comes from after all the bills are paid and there's this little pile of money at the end and then it's my job to figure out where it all has to go so that we can sustain ourselves for another day, another month, another year. Yeah, it's an interesting scenario once folks actually have a realization of uh, where the money actually goes and uh, that, you know, uh, while some folks may have a second P&L that, that everybody's not robbing from everybody in the business, that uh, there's some significant costs that come along with what we're doing. And it's not rare, Carm, that that we sit in a room and, and we get a, a big, long list, uh, man, I wish I would have, right? Man, I wish I would have two years ago, right? All those folks that were losing money, you know, over the past, you know, few years, and now all of a sudden they recognize that although it takes time, uh, that it it really wasn't as as difficult um, as as it may seem. Once you're in a situation where you're only one to three percent net profit, it's life is hard, man. Right? You're 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 paying, you're having a hard time paying bills. You're worrying about paying people's paychecks, all those things. You get in the four to five to six percent net range and things start to get a little easier. You start to enjoy business a little better. Things are a little more fun. You can finally start thinking about maybe working on instead of in the business, although most people still don't at that point. Uh, you get to that seven to 10, it's that net wall. You can start to you can start to look over that wall. Once you get to nine, 10, 11%, things are really fun and you're able to actually really uh, have a good time and reinvest back in the business. And, and now uh, uh, you've recognized that uh, that it could have been this way if if you would have just made a few changes along the way. Scoreboarding and coaching and rewarding cover a little bit of the importance of that. I don't know that there's anything more important to uh, to the processes and the systems when it comes to accountability than having good, clean scoreboards. Um, you know, in, in any situation, we try to make sure the work that's being done and uh, the information that's that's being reported, whether up or down. And and I'm a, a big proponent of reporting up. Uh, so folks understand the numbers. They have to mine the numbers. They have to work with them. They have to put their hands on them, right? Um, but, uh, you know, really when it comes to getting things done, the scoreboard has to be within everybody's control. Uh, we're all really good at at taking the canned reports that come out of our point of sale systems and figuring out how to throw them at everybody and saying, do this, do that, you know, moving everybody's cheese uh, every couple of weeks, every couple of months, whatever it is. Um, but one thing I think that's really important is that we, we actually drill that down, right? We drill those scoreboards down into uh, whatever it is you're working on in the moment and you isolate, right? You want to isolate uh, the, the process and you want to isolate the behaviors that support that process in order for you to have the greatest chance of getting that done. So having a scoreboard that's there every single day uh, for folks that have, in my opinion, 75% or greater influence on reporting, a tire uh, oil change uh, technician, 
probably necessarily doesn't need to know on a daily basis how many air filters were sold. They probably need to know something more like how many quality inspections were done on the number of cars that I had come through my bay. That's a meaningful scoreboard for somebody rather than how much did we sell, right? Because an oil change uh, tire tech doesn't really have control over the sales side of things. They have control over the uh, inspection and the execution, right, of that. So what are we reporting on and, and how do we report it and what's the frequency with which we do it? So individualistic targeting, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. So there's got to be a, a certain degree or level of data that you want to come upstairs and flow because if, if someone is doing a particular job, no matter what it is in the company, say I'm in charge of selling tires, at least I got a little bit of a personal scorecard that I mean, the computer knows, the SMS knows, maybe I want to make sure that the SMS got me right, so I'm going to keep my own scorecard. Technology's gotten in the way in, in you know, some some instances. It used to be back in the day, we would all put it on paper, right? And if you had spiffs that were going on or whatever it was, that, that mechanic or technician or uh, lube tech, whatever, would, would make sure that they're getting paid on that and they've got them all written down on a piece of paper. Well, you know, now we've, we've just got to harness the technology that's in the shops and give people uh, the, the autonomy uh, to use the system, figure out how, you know, which reports need to be available to them and then have them roll something up in a, in a fashion that brings together teamwork. They can see the competition between each other. Um, they can see what's possible, where they are, you know, in the group. And, and hopefully then, you know, you can engender a little bit of uh, a little bit of competition to be able to, you know, work towards the goals that, that you're working on at the moment. Right. I so appreciate you coming on board, Randy. And, uh, would you, would you promise to come back and let's take uh, do part two? Absolutely, Carm. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to talk to you, not only here on the cast, but, uh, but offline as well. And uh, very much appreciate what you're doing for the industry in any way that, uh, that I can support it and we can support it. More than happy to do it. I think you dropped a whole lot of great uh, motivation, knowledge bombs. Uh, wow, that's a great idea bomb. No doubt we appreciate it. Randy O'Connor, Executive Director of Modern Tire Dealer Training and Educator Network. Come back, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to it. Can't wait. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.